Welcome to Atmospheric Tales, a podcast that amplifies stories and experiences related to air pollution and climate change from around the world. I'm your host Shahzad Ghani and welcome to another episode of Atmospheric Tales. Our interview for this episode is Maria Daniela Castillo. Maria is a researcher at the George Washington University School of Public Health. She was previously a researcher at the Boston University School of Public Health, where she worked on field testing of a novel low-cost air quality sensor. She has a bachelor in science degree from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in environmental sciences and is slated to join the master's in city planning program at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Maria is from Bucaramanga, Colombia. Our guest today is a chemical and environmental engineering professor at the National University of Colombia in Bogota. He's well known for his work on understanding air pollution in Colombia, where he uses measurement and modeling techniques to recommend effective policy measures to reduce air pollution. He received his PhD in 2002 from the University of Leeds in the UK and was a professor at the Universidad de Los Andes before joining the National University of Colombia, where he has been a professor for the past decade and a half. His work has been supported and funded by local environmental agencies in the Bogota region, as well as other institutions such as the Colombian National Institute for Hydrology, Meteorology and Environmental Studies, the Ministry of Environment and Sustainable Development, the World Bank, the Colombian Science, Technology and Innovation Department, and the Universidad Nacional de Colombia. I'm excited to welcome our guest, Dr. Nestor Rojas. Welcome to the show, Nestor and Maria. Thank you very much, Shazad. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Chesad, for having us today. It is a pleasure for me to interview Professor Nestor Rojas. So I want to start um, with a little bit of background. So in Colombia, major cities like Bogota and Medellin are often in news for poor air quality. At the same time, rural areas such as the Orinoquia at the border with Venezuela experience high pollution during the dry season due to wildfires and land clearing. Every year, approximately 15,000 premature deaths can be attributed to air pollution in Colombia. So given the importance of the studying air quality in Colombia, Nestor, can you give us an overview of the work you have been doing and how it lies at the intersection of science, health, and policy? First, I'd like to give you a bit of context. When I came back to Colombia from my PhD in 2002, I was working on engine emissions. I did my PhD thesis on diesel engine emissions for light vehicles. And when I came back here, then I started looking for a lab or a university that had the infrastructure to work on engine emissions, but uh, that actually was a very, very hard to find. Only the Instituto for Oil Research, Instituto Colombiano del Petróleo, had the right labs to conduct that kind of uh, research. And later, Professor Ramiro Agudelo at the University of Antioquia in Medellin has been building a very nice uh, lab. It, it has taken nearly two decades to have a, an excellent lab for measuring engine emissions. But at that time, I didn't have that kind of opportunity. I talked to the uh, Institute of Oil and uh, they didn't have open places for new researchers. So I started looking for other options. I joined the University of Los Andes I found that the research on pollution there was conducted in a different department and I had to meet some other responsibilities there. So I didn't really start working on this topic straight away. 
but I started looking for other options to do research and I found that uh, I had to move from engine emissions to air quality because uh, I saw there were many research gaps in air quality. So I started studying. I had the opportunity to go to Sweden for a five-week course on air quality management and technology in 2004. And that was very important for me because I learned a lot about this, uh, about how to manage, how to do research and how to apply that research to change policies that were designed to improve air quality and improve health of the population. Uh, so after that, because of different reasons, I moved to Universidad Nacional, the National University of Colombia in Bogota, and I started actually applying what I learned before in those, in those years on air quality. So I, I defined some research studies and, and research issues that I, worked, I wanted to work on, and I got very close to the environmental agency and to other researchers that were starting actually conducting these kind of uh, studies uh, at the same time. The community at that time, the, the scientific community on air quality was very, very small, but I found out that several more people were actually interested in working on this topic. For example, uh, Dr. Eduardo Behrens at the Universidad de los Andes and uh, Jorge Pachon at the University of uh, La Salle. So we joined efforts to start conducting studies on air quality in Bogota, we kind of agreed what to study according to the needs of the environmental agencies. So I started working on uh, source apportionment studies. We conducted a, a couple of uh, studies, one at Universidad de los Andes and one at Universidad Nacional uh, with different sampling points and uh, somehow some different techniques and those were very important to plan or to design the 10-year air pollution abatement plant for Bogota uh, from two, 2010 to 2020. I also started conducting some studies on emission inventories for air quality modeling. One important thing to say here is that Colombia actually hasn't had the, the capacity in their national institutes to conduct national emission inventories as those you, you can find for the US or for Europe that are very detailed and very specific. So we didn't really have good emission inventories at the national level. And we had an emission inventory for Bogota that was conducted by Erika Zarate and, and colleagues at the EPFL under the supervision of Professor Alain Tapier and some of the people here at the Universidad de los Andes, such as uh, Luis Carlos Belalcázar. So they had worked on these emission inventories, uh, but we actually needed an upgrade of those inventories. So we, we started working on that too for modeling purposes. Another study that uh, was important at that time was uh, the estimation of air pollution related costs. That was also in support of the 10 year air pollution abatement plan, 2010-2020, and some exposure measurements, especially by the, the roads that are used for the BRT system in Bogota. And finally, with uh, another colleague of mine at the Universidad Nacional, Elmer Acevedo, uh, we performed a few studies on emissions measurements that were conducted on road 
real world measurements from the buses in Bogota. Those were the, the main studies that I've been conducting in, from the time I joined the Universidad, Universidad Nacional in 2006 today. Thank you for sharing that, Nasser. I think it is great that you were able to navigate different institutes and cities to find the, a department that was the right fit for you. So as you said, the air quality field in Colombia was very small, but is now growing rapidly. So what do you think is the current state of understanding on air quality in Colombia today? What are the things that we know, thanks to the measurements and models that you just mentioned? And what are the things that we don't know and need to investigate further? Thanks for that question, Maria. The main research groups have been in uh, Bogota and in Medellin. So several researchers have been working on, on this kind of studies that I commented before. And as a result, we have a good knowledge of source apportionment to PM10 and PM2.5 in Bogota and Medellin. And there is some preliminary work in other cities too and regions, but still lot, lot to develop in other places of the country. We have better local emission inventories for Bogotá and for Medellín, and the Ministry of Environment finally started working on a national emission inventory for air pollutants. They had actually estimated the emission inventories for greenhouse gases because of the commitments, international commitments for greenhouse gases and climate change. But the first air pollutants criteria, pollutants emission inventory is actually about to be issued in Colombia. They have estimated it already, but they haven't actually opened it to the public yet. We have also identified which are the highly polluted microenvironments in a city like Bogota, and there are some similar studies in other cities too. And we have estimated the impact of long-range transport of biomass aerosols from the Orinoco Basin in between Colombia and Venezuela, where a lot of biomass burning occurs, especially in the first quarter of every year. With these studies and a few, a few others in other fields, we have built useful information to design air pollution abatement plans, as I said before, for Bogotá, Medellín mainly, and uh, some similar plans for Cali, for instance, and for other uh, regions such as the Cesar coal mining region in Colombia. This research has been conducted by the community. The scientific community has been useful for those air pollution abatement plants. And this has also increased the citizen awareness of the problem. Many more citizens are aware of this problem now than were at the time when I came back from my PhD. So that's, that's good news, but that has taken nearly two decades. There are many things that we still don't know much about. There's a lot of research uh, needs to be done out of these big cities and in the critical regions. So we don't know much about the impact, for instance, of the Amazon deforestation on the air quality of cities that are located uh, near the rainforest, for instance, uh, far away from the main cities. We don't know how the air quality is in our natural parks. We don't know how much is the impact of regional phenomena or about transboundary 
pollution from uh, Venezuela, for instance, to Colombia or from Colombia to Ecuador. We don't know much about that. There are still many, many questions. Even in the cities where we have been working more, we have lots of unresolved questions. We don't know much about the load of uh, resuspended particles in, in Bogota, although Professor Jorge Pachon, for instance, has been working a lot about that subject and still we need to prove our measurements and our models to be able to predict uh, how that would change uh, with different kinds of measures. We know that that can be a, an important problem, but we still need to have more details about the real impact of those resuspended particles. We need also to develop more realistic emission factors for several sources, uh, even for uh, vehicles, because our fleet is completely different from an American fleet or for European fleet in terms of uh, aging, engine technology, the way that we drive and so on. So we still need to, to do much more work on that. And uh, definitely we need to know much more about the real situation of air quality in many of our cities. Our monitoring networks are just a few and are very small. So most of the country is actually a question mark in terms of air pollution. We don't know the air pollution in most of our cities and towns. So there's a lot of work to do. It's a good thing that the scientific community has been growing. And more researchers are working in those small cities and the regions, but we still need to collaborate much more to be able to know how the air quality is in Colombia. It is good to see that the scientific community is growing in other regions like in the Orinoco and Cesar and not just in Bogota and Medellin. Um, and I think it is really important to know that there are still some knowledge gaps in the Amazon region and national parks, as you mentioned, because even if not many people live here, we still need to first understand the emissions at the national level too. So going back to cities, Colombia has about five to 10 metropolitan areas with more than a million inhabitants. And of these, Bogota is the most populated one with over 7 million people. What do you know are the major sources of air pollution in Colombian cities? And are there specific neighborhoods within the cities that are more, more polluted than others? The work of our group and, and some of my colleagues in other universities um, has shown that about three quarters of, of the air pollutants from combustion sources is from traffic from mobile sources uh, and the rest uh, from point sources in, in, in the industrial areas. And part of it, a little bit of it, about 1% or so, 2% is from commercial sources. For commercial, I mean the restaurants and, and similar sources that use uh, charcoal, for instance. So that's the most of, of the, the emission f comes from those sources. And I'm referring to particulate matter emissions, basically, because that's the biggest uh, problem that we have identified in, in our air quality. And the monitoring has shown that the PM, the particulate matter, both fine and coarse particles are the ones that exceed the norms, the national standards, most of the times, whereas gaseous pollutants such as uh, NO2, NOx, uh, or carbon monoxide, even SO2, they are well below the national standards. So our main air pollution problem is because of particulate matter. So that's why I refer to those sources. When we take a closer look to the traffic sources, the mobile sources, then we find that the trucks, the cargo trucks, 
in Bogota, for instance, are the most significant source. They produce about 36% of, uh, of the particulate emissions. And uh, buses emit about 29% of, of particulate emissions. And uh, those are this, the sources based on diesel, mainly. The third so most significant course, uh, source is SUVs based on diesel. So we have identified clearly that we need to improve the emission control or, or start using emission controls for diesel vehicles. Uh, and that's what uh, is happening already. The new fleet of the city has uh, the diesel particulate filters installed or they are uh, natural gas engines. So that's uh, a decision in the right direction, but we need to improve that for the diesel trucks too, that are very old in the country. That's a fleet that hasn't been renewed in the country, so we need to work on that. Regarding the geographic differences, yes, there are some areas in, in Bogota, for instance, that are much more polluted than others. And um, in Bogota is the southwest, the area that is uh, much more polluted than the northeast. So there's a very strong gradient of uh, particulate matter concentrations between the Northeast and the Southwest. Why is the Southwest most, more polluted? It's because it's the, the area where the industrial sources are located and also the area that uh, is more connected to the places where the goods are produced. Or, for example, the food always enters in that area always comes from the from the west or the southwest so there's a lot of traffic of diesel trucks in that area but it's uh, also an area that it, that has a high density of population so there are also land use problems there we have industrial areas and lots of traffic lots of uh, cargo trucks there and many people exposed to high levels of air pollution. So the sources and the, the receptors, the people who are exposed to that pollution are in the same place. So we have also to work on, on land use and land planning issues. And that situation is probably something that we can see in other cities, just we haven't studied the, them carefully. Medellin has a similar problem between the, the north in, and the south, but the situation in other uh, smaller cities is not so well known. That's really good to know. Thank you. So emissions modeling are a very useful tool for quantifying the contribution of various sources to air pollution. And as you said, about three quarters of particulate matter emissions in Bogota come from traffic and different neighborhoods are affected in different ways. So can you tell our listeners more about high resolution models such as traffic emission models at one end and regional models at the other end? How can these models help inform smart policy decisions to reduce local and regional air pollution? High resolution models are very useful in this kind of, of uh, situation when, when you see very strong differences of air pollution within the same city. That's where we need to know how the sources at a very high resolution in small areas behave and how traffic behaves in those areas too. So traffic models that uh, have been applied by my colleague Sonia Mangones at the Universidad Nacional are very useful for that. She is a transport engineer, so she can actually apply these models to know which roads are more, most congested and how they will change if you make policy changes or traffic changes. 
So you can predict how, not only how the behavior of the roads will be, or traffic on those roads, but also how the air pollution around those roads will change. So there you need a high resolution uh, traffic model together with a uh, uh, high resolution air quality model too. And that will reflect the situation of the exposure of people, which is what, what uh, we need to know in terms of public health. So for the exposure, to know the exposure of, of people in every block or in areas around a, a road that is going to be changed in terms of traffic management, for instance, then, then you need these high-resolution models. We also can apply high-resolution models to know how pollutants will behave in a, within one of those microenvironments. For instance, in a street canyon, that is uh, a street surrounded by high buildings where the dispersion of air pollutants is limited. So we can actually find out which side of the, of the road is more polluted and how the uh, people who live nearby will be affected. So my colleague Luis Carlos de la Casa, for instance, has been applying CFD models to find out how the, the, these neighbors in street canyons will be affected when the fleet of the buses in that road, for instance, will be changed. On the other hand, the regional models are useful to estimate the impact of big events. For example, the, these biomass burning events in the Orinoco Basin that, that, is, that covers the eastern plains of Colombia and Venezuela, those are huge events of fires. And we can use these regional models to estimate how the pollutants generated or emitted by those fires are transported towards the cities in the Andean region and which concentrations of pollutants will be found when these masses of, uh, of biomass uh, burning aerosol come to these cities. We can use not only the models, but also satellite observations and the local monitoring data to, to put together all, all this knowledge and, and determine the, the real impact on air quality and on health. This year, we had a natural experiment because of the COVID lockdowns, and we could actually see the isolated, nearly isolated impact of these fires on the air quality of Bogota and, uh, and some other cities, even Medellin, by using the, only the monitoring. But then, with, with the data that we have now from this natural experiment, we can improve the models to better estimate the impact under real or normal conditions together with the emissions from the city and the normal circum circumstances. Other events such as the Saharan dust intrusion that is happening now can be only studied with the low resolution or regional, even transcontinental models. Yeah, it is good to have both uh, local and regional models for this assessment. Um, I think it is very interesting to see how people in Colombia and outside of Colombia have very different opinions about traffic in Bogota and in other big cities. And I say this because Bogota has been the testbed for transportation initiatives such as the world-renowned bus rapid transit system, the BRT called the Transmillennium. But while the system has been hailed as success from the transportation perspective, are there concerns about exposure to air pollution, both for the riders and for those on the streets near the buses or near the stations? Well, the situation of the BRT system in Bogota is, uh, is very interesting. The importance of this system is that it changed the whole situation of transportation in the city. It's a very important 
to say that Bogota, as though it's a very big city, it's nearly a mega city, doesn't have a rail system, a metro system. So all the, the public transportation has been based on buses for a long time. And even though the, the, the need for a metro system has been there for decades, just a few years ago, a couple of years ago, and there was the decision, the real decision to build a metro system. Lots of uh, problems uh, in the decision-making processes on this transportation problem. So when Transmillennia uh, was uh, designed and implemented in the city, the first line of Transmillennia, that was in, in 2000, then it really meant a big difference compared to what was happening before. There was a very disorganized transportation system. That happened in, in many countries in Latin America, actually, uh, the, that the uh, disorganized bus transportation system was in place. So this meant a big change because of a better quality of the buses, uh, more capacity of the buses, and uh, a, a more organized way to use the transportation system in the city, the public transportation. The dedicated lanes meant lower times to go from one end of the city to, to the other. So that was a big change and a positive change at the beginning. For about 10 years, we had a honeymoon between the people of Bogota and the, and the transmission system in general terms. The problems came afterwards because uh, those buses were supposed to be uh, renewed. The first buses, the, the first stage of the transmission system, that fleet was old and needed to be changed. And also the rest of the, this, the transportation in the city needed to, to move toward that system or a better system. And that didn't happen at the right pace. So changes after 2010 were not very well implemented. The, the rest of the transportation in the city didn't actually work very well. And it was even worse after 2010. And there was a very important policy mistake that was extending the lifetime of the first fleet of the Transmillennial system without considering uh, how those engines were aged or deteriorated. That decision didn't take into account that they, will, they would emit much more uh, pollution than when the buses were new, but they extended their life the lifetime anyway. So what we started to see was these buses that once were a symbol of, of progress in the city, emitting huge clouds of soot or particulate matter, very visible. So that, that changed the image of the system totally. And uh, many, many more people were starting saying that that was the main pollution source in the city and we should change the system completely. So the honeymoon was over. So that, that was because of that policy mistake. The company and the, the administration of the city didn't actually conduct or, or hire a study to determine what would be the impact of extending the lifetime of, of the buses without changing the, the engines, for instance. So that was a big mistake. I hope they had learned from that. So some studies were hired later and, and actually some, some, they were not even hired. Some researchers started measuring the exposure concentrations inside the buses and inside the bus stations, the bus stops. And some citizens started using low-cost sensors 
to measure that uh, pollution inside the buses and, and in the stops. Then when, the, when more people knew about the, the high measurements, the high concentrations of pollutants inside the buses, then uh, we realized the uh, local administrations had made a big mistake in, uh, in extending the lifetime of those buses. And therefore, there was a high level of, of concern in the local administrations to start changing that situation. And that was good because of the citizens and the researchers actually pushed the administration to start changing that fleet. So finally, after many years of extending the process to renew that fleet, there was a new contract and, uh, and the new fleet started operating in um, 2019 with much better technology, with the diesel particulate filters or based on natural gas with much lower emissions. But that's a decision that should have been made much earlier, as soon as the nominal lifetime of the buses was made in 2010. So we needed, needed a decade to, to start making those changes in the city. My colleagues, uh, Ricardo Morales and Boris Galvis at uh, Universidad de los Andes and uh, La Salle University conducted some recent uh, measurements to find how much the concentrations inside the buses and the stops was lowered after introducing this, uh, these new buses in the fleet. What they found out was really, really amazing because uh, the concentrations were about 50% lower. So that, mean, that meant that the, the new fleet is having a big impact on uh, the exposure and on, on the impact of uh, the pollution emitted by the same buses. Wow, so that definitely speaks to the importance of policy making and the long-lasting impact that it can have in a city. So besides a large bus fleet, Bogota also has the largest network of bicycle infrastructure in any Latin American city, which consists of about 540 kilometers. So what do you think the role of active transportation, such as biking, walking, and using public transit, and electric mobility ranging from electric vehicles to e-bikes and scooters, will be in improving air quality in cities, such as in Bogota, as well as improving the health and well-being of its citizens? We are lucky to have a very good infrastructure for bicycles and that has uh, allowed the city to have uh, about 10% of the daily trips by bicycle, by this mode of transportation. The city has reached a very unsustainable point in vehicle transportation because of the lack of the metro system and the the uh, overcrowding of the Transmillennium and the bus system. So we really need better solutions. And I believe firmly that uh, the answer is in biking, in walking and e-bikes and scooters, because those are those micro-mobility solutions are less space demanding and they can actually provide the, the, the right travel time for the city that the, that the citizens need. And this would definitely have a good effect on air quality because these transports don't have uh, local emissions. My students will have been uh, conducting some measurements along the bike paths in Bogota and uh, we have found what kind of infrastructure is better to reduce exposure. Of course, the best infrastructure is that that is built away from big avenues that could actually create some safety issues because of 
they could give more opportunity to steal bicycles, for instance. But we need that kind of infrastructure, bicycle infrastructure, more isolated from the, the emissions from big sources such as trucks and buses and even light vehicles because of the traffic. It is great that you have been taking these real-time measurements with the rise of low-cost sensors, such as Canario, which is based in Bogota, or Purple Air, which is being used globally. How do you envision the role of citizen science and open data in decentralizing knowledge and in increasing public awareness and community advocacy to improve air quality in the city? Are you hopeful or are you skeptical towards these little actions that could ultimately influence policy? I'm definitely hopeful about the use of these low-cost sensors, and this is why. We have actually lots of limitations in our air quality monitoring. Our network, as I said before, is very limited, it's very small. We have many places in the country where we don't know what air quality we're having. So these sensors could actually provide a solution to know what the air quality is in many towns, many small towns and small cities in the country, even in our natural parks and, and some other places. And within the city that already has the, the monitoring stations, the monitoring networks, we have found together with the concerned citizens that have been working on this, such as Daniel Bernal in Canario, that when people are actually participating in the air quality monitoring, they become much more aware of the problem and they want to do something to fix the problem, to reduce emissions or to reduce the exposure. And they become more active in demanding the administration, the government for better solutions. So, so I'm really hopeful that, that we can use much more of, the, of these sensors, many more of these sensors in the country to engage the community. And we, together with the community, to, with the citizens, we can make better decisions in terms of air quality management. And there's a good example here in Colombia, in, in Medellin, the city government actually promoted the use of these low-cost sensors to increase the awareness and even increase the, the resolution of the air quality monitoring. It's clear that these monitors have some quality problems in terms of the accuracy of the measurements, but they are good enough to give you uh, a good idea of the air quality in a city. So if you translate the, the measurements into the air quality index, then they actually work well enough. So I am really hopeful and I really want the, the authorities to accept that these local sensors can be used as a useful tool to make better policy decisions with the community, with the citizens, and with their participation in the quality monitoring. I think we're starting to see worldwide how citizen science projects are increasing public awareness and it's great that Bogota and Medellin are already on board with that. Um, so what would be your main recommendation for large and medium-sized Colombian cities to improve air quality? And do you think these lessons are relevant to other Latin American cities as well? The work in Bogota and Medellin has shown that when they are open to work together with the researchers to fund research studies and go deeper into the causes and the, and the sources of, of the air pollutants, then this knowledge 
it's very useful for them to make the right decisions and to design the right plans to abate air pollution. So I would invite other local governments in Colombia and in other Latin American cities to work together with researchers and with the community to design better uh, air quality management plans. That is actually, we have learned in Bogota and we have the opportunity to meet the local government often and discuss the solutions with them, discuss the research needs, and then provide them the evidence to make better decisions policy-wise. The previous discussion on, on the citizen engagement, that also is very important. We have to work together with the citizens, involving them in, in our projects from the university and from the local governments. Citizen awareness is definitely important to tackle the air pollution problem because they are uh, not only the, the people who are benefited if air pollution is lowered, but they can also influence other actors to take action and reduce their emissions. When they become aware, then they start taking actions themselves and they start influencing others. So that those are the two lessons that I, that I would give to the local governments in, in small cities. Listen to the researchers and engage the communities. Following up with that, what do you think should be the role of academia in research translation and in science communication to inform both the general public and policymakers, especially in the context of Latin America, where there is still a disconnect between communities and decision makers and a lack of trust sometimes? And how do you balance your role as an academic and a science communicator? I'll tell you about my experience. We have created this space of the Colombian Conference on Air Quality and Public Health uh, in 2007, because there was no uh, scientific event previously or not, not uh, with the impact that, that this event has had. So we started with this conference and there we have increased the communication between not only among academics and scientists, but also with the national government and the local governments in Colombia. And that has also attracted the interest of the media and of the citizens. And we have continued with this uh, conference uh, every two years uninterruptedly. And as media has um, learned about the, these studies that we have conducted as a scientific community, then they started They, they start to become more aware of the problem and to call us when they, when they need more information uh, about the, the issues that affect air quality. So our role is very important to translate the results of our research into uh, useful information for citizens and for the governments, for the agencies. Uh, it's a a hard task because it's time demanding and we are already full of things to do, to do at the university or as academia many hours to teach which is actually harder than than in the u.s for instance we have to dedicate much more hours to lecturing and teaching so less time for research but even so we are interested in, in dedicating some time to answer the questions of the media and the community to, to participate in, in events, to show our results and so on. So it's a very important role and uh, my colleagues and, and I consider that very important. 
Yeah, it is great to see that researchers in Colombia are willing to engage with the government, with the media, and with the general public. Thank you yeah. so much for speaking with us today, Nestor. This is very informative, and I believe all of our listeners learn from this conversation today. It's been a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you, Maria, and thank you, Shazad. With that, I would like to thank our guest, Nestor Rojas, and our interviewer, Maria Daniela Castillo, for joining us on this episode of Atmospheric Tales. Please reach out to us if you'd like to suggest episode topics, guests, or be an interviewer on one of our episodes. Our contact information can be found on our website, atmosphericTales.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook to ask questions to our upcoming guests. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe and share.